Fika with Anika. The word fika is used as both a noun and a verb and is derived from the Swedish word for coffee. The Swedish coffee break is a moment to literally leave work behind. Taken at three in the afternoon, it's not a strategy for multitasking or for fitting in another mini-meeting. It's a chance to relax in the company of colleagues or friends. The key is to pause your day. So, brew up some coffee, grab a seat, and embrace Fika. So, good afternoon. Here we are again. It's a Wednesday afternoon, and you're listening to Fika with Anika. I'm here with my distinguished guest, uh, Dale Whitney. Dale Whitney is a, a longtime friend, and he was also my market manager in a previous life when I was uh, a vendor at Farmer's Markets. And um, I, I brought Dale in so we could talk about <coughs> old times and, and all about Farmer's Markets and things like that. So with that said, go ahead, Dale. Say hello. Hi, uh, this is Dale Whitney. I, uh, I live in Long Beach. I've lived there since about 1972. And um, I understand that the little town there of Anza is thinking about maybe uh, starting a small farmer's market, which might be different from what we have way over in the city where the farmers come often from far, far away, as far away as 200 miles, or sometimes with... Um, some products, um, for instance, nuts, uh, walnuts, all the way from Chico in Northern California. But ordinarily, our farms are within 200 miles. In Anza, if you started a market, it would probably be mostly local farms. But um, if you had a farmer's market location, uh, they could be bring in good produce uh, without having to uh, size it um, or run it through a packing house. Uh, as long as it was good quality and you had a, an official farmer's market location, um, they could sell direct to the customer, and it would be a good thing for the community, probably just once a week, maybe Saturday morning. But let me say a little bit more. Um, I have lived in Long Beach since the 70s, and the current state of California certified farmer's markets are closely regulated to basically assure the customer in the market that the person selling the item is a legitimate agricultural item um, in the fresh produce area, not processed in any way, except maybe made into juice. Um, and um, the customer knows that the, it's the farmer selling it not a farmer who has purchased it from somebody else and then resold it. That's called a peddler. <laughs> but anyway, uh, that law that makes those farmers markets that are so popular throughout California now uh, was passed and signed by Governor Jerry Brown the first way back in 1977. It was 1980, July 4th, 1980, that uh, we had our first farmers market the fourth one south of the Tehachapis in downtown Long Beach, and I was part of the organizing committee uh, for that first market in downtown Long Beach. That market still exists, uh, but we have five other markets within the harbor area, farmer's markets as well now. 
Uh, one's at the Alamitos Bay Marina on Sunday. That's our biggest market. Uh, we have a Thursday market. It's our only evening market in the Bixby Knowles area, kind of northwest Long Beach. And we also have markets on other days of the week, um, Monday in Southgate, Wednesday in Huntington Park, and Saturday in Cerritos, which is also a really good market in a good location. Um, basically, um, market managers make sure that um, the space is found for a market. They recruit the farmers that come to the farmer's market, um, make sure they follow all the rules, try to find adequate parking. And also there's an additional area which uh, within the industry we call the non-agricultural area, which is part of the larger market, but it's not the farmer's part of the market. And you'll find things like coffee, bread, fresh seafood, um, soap, um, uh, things like olive oil, processed uh, items. They may be processed farm items. They might be whatever the manager decide, uh, decides that should go in there. For instance, kettle corn is also a popular item. So is hummus and, um, um, and fresh food. Uh, we have a tamale stand in most of our Long Beach area markets that are selling, they're selling tamales to die for, and they're always very popular with both the customers and the farmers, too. I'm going to stop there and see if um, Annika has some questions for me. Hmm. One of the things I like to know uh, is uh, the, I think part of the duties of a market manager is to actually go and visit the farm to ensure that you've seen for yourself that the farmer is indeed growing his own produce and that you have to you travel far and wide doing this that, that's not a requirement of the state uh, remember each county has uh, inspectors agricultural inspectors that um, that have a double uh, function they go to whatever farmers markets might be in that county and make sure that the farmers there are following all the rules. There's also a health department that keeps track of what's going on in the market location. But those same inspectors are also responsible for um, visiting and inspecting and keeping track of what's going on in the farms that are production farms there in that county. Um, some, um, some of the markets... Uh, including our markets when I was there, um, are also sending either the market manager or a team of people out into the countryside, even 200 miles away, uh, especially if it's a really popular, really uh, successful market financially, to make sure that everything is on the up and up. Um, my um, farthest visit in terms of... Um, uh, what was in the farmers' markets in the Long Beach area was uh, actually two different um, grass-fed bison farms in Northern California, way up by Mount Shasta. Uh, on first, there was the first one was on one side of the same mountain, and then the next one was on the other side of that same mountain uh, when the first one dropped out. But um, I actually. Um, 
visited all of the farms that were active in our markets when I was in the markets. But I, I don't think that's being done anymore in Long Beach because the manager technically uh, coordinates with the individual county agricultural inspectors in terms of monitoring whether the fresh produce bring, being brought to market was actually produced by the person or the stall, the farm stall selling it. In fact, just as I left, starting in 2015, uh, when my career as a market manager was drawing to a close, they actually, um, by the end of that year, they, they passed a, um, a new law making it an actual misdemeanor, in other words, a crime, to um, be selling something that you didn't yourself grow on your own farm that you controlled. Um, for instance, um, um, at, at, at that point, uh, the authenticity is assured um, by the inspectors who uh, have complete access to all the farms in their, in their county, day and night. Um, and so they um, they do a pretty good job if the managers let them know if they're suspicious about a given farm. For instance, uh, one time we had a farmer. Uh, it was a combination fruit, summer fruit farm and uh, Asian vegetable farm. But both the Asian vegetables and the summer fruit ordinarily uh, come off the, the uh, trees or uh, vines. Uh, during the summer. But these were Asian vegetables arriving in January from supposedly the Central Valley, and supposedly they were being grown in a greenhouse. But this was not very believable. So when I asked the farm lady uh, where the vegetables were coming from, she said, oh, inside the greenhouse at my farm in Visalia. Well, I was very suspicious for other reasons of her. So uh, I, called the ag, ag, I called the ag inspector and talked to him on the cell phone. And he went to the farm and said, well, yeah, there's a greenhouse there, but it's on the neighbor's property. And it's full of um, uh, friendly insects. It's an insectary, and it doesn't have any Asian vegetables in it at all. That's not oh. what it's being used for. So I bounced her little butt <laughs> right out of the market uh, in Anza. We can talk farm talk and uh, found someone else to take that sales spot. Wow. So they're oh, coming. And her friend yes. who didn't rat on her, her friend who went to the same high school after I told, after I let the first person go, said, um, if that person tells you 10 things, believe one. Thing oh, out of the goodness. ten, <laughs> but she didn't rat on her friend. She couldn't do that. <laughs> There's such a thing as good friendships, then. Yes. Okay, but so what I'm hearing here is that people, as far away as uh, Visalia and Northern California, come down to the Los Angeles County markets well, on yeah. a weekly basis. Yes. In fact, many of them uh, are probably only taking one day a week off, and they're probably in market six days a week, uh, but. That's a lot of work. It's a lot of miles in a truck. It's a lot of sore backs if you, you know, ride more than two hours without getting up and stretching. Right. 
<clears throat> but this was a big improvement back in the late 1970s over the previous system, which involved all of your fruit going through a packing house for grading and sorting, and then it had to go into um, uh, labeled, standardized boxes. Um, and th- th- there's nothing wrong with distributing fruit that way because it, it gives the supermarket or the final consumer with the fruit coming out of that box at a supermarket um, a, a, a surety that it's good quality, grade A stuff. But of course, in uniform size. Yeah, it and has so, to be so many carrots to a bunch. And all yeah, that stuff. and the, the peaches or apples or oranges have to be uh, pretty much a uniform size. It can't be too big or too small, even though they're still very edible if they're bigger or smaller than the ideal. The, the point I'm trying to make is that, number one, the, the things you buy in a farmer's market don't have to be all standard size. Uh, they can be, as long as they're mature and um, healthy, they can be little ones and big ones. You can get a bigger, better price on little ones. Sometimes uh, all the oranges come out, sm- all the navel oranges come out small, and it may be the only thing that's available that year. But the other thing that was, pro- that was a problem with the farmers and the uh, packing house system, uh, where there was no place they could take fresh stuff right to the right to the uh, table where the customer would buy it, is that the packing houses would, um, well, they, they really didn't treat the, the small farmers very fair. They're more set up for uh, a large farm that's all the same kind of peaches that all come in the same week. But the way the farmers do in the farmer's markets, they can't have all the peaches get ripe the same week. They have different varieties that start in May and go all the way up through September, and each row of each separate kind of peach uh, comes in a little later than the one before. I, I call this a cascade effect. But that way they have fresh peaches, maybe all white peaches, but uh, they go to the nursery and get varieties. Yeah, you would know what a nursery would be doing because right. you used to be a nursery woman in our markets. They would be able to cover the entire summer with just a few peaches each week instead of all coming, getting ripe at the same time. But the, the other problem was if you hired if you hired the uh, packing house to send a team of pickers out to pick your peaches, they might send you a bill because they would charge more for the labor than what they would give you for the peaches. Oh. Or if you sent peaches in and um, uh, you had your own pickers do them, you might get there and turn the peaches in and before you could get paid for them after they'd gone through the, um, um, the, the the packing house, the packing house would declare itself bankrupt, and then the next week there'd be a whole new name on the packing house, and you might or might not get any of your money back. Maybe after six months you'd get 25 cents on the dollar. Oh. So it was really, really not fair to small family farmers. So when they found out they could load up a truck... On, on Friday night and take it to a market on Saturday morning and sell a whole truckload of stuff for $1,000 and bring home cash, they were doing backflips. And that's what's made farmers markets popular with the farmers. But also those same farmers would pick for market 
and they'd bring really mature fruit that was luscious and ready to eat and not hard as a rock because for the packing house, you have to pick it in advance so it can tumble around in the packing house and then be packed and shipped wherever it gets shipped. So they, they, they're, those kinds of um, fruits are not picked just for market the next day. They're picked a couple of weeks early, and they're not, they're not fully mature and as sweet as they can be when you finally get it home and, and decide to eat it. So I think one of the charms, too, with the farmer's market is not only that, that you know, that this was handpicked by the farmer, but you, you're, for the most part, you're actually talking to the farmer himself. Ideally, yes, the farmer um, is there to talk to. In actual fact, in the big city, uh, most of the farmers do a lot of markets, and they have, um, they have employees that do the markets for them. And hopefully... The employees have been trained and have visited the farm and can answer at least some questions about the farm. But this is not always true. Um, it's much better if the farmer is there to talk to. Right. Now, I know you've told me before that you used to come up to our area in Awanga and uh, past uh, when you were going on your inspections. You told me there used to be a grape grower on the 79 and... Sage Road intersection in that area. Yes, and they were, and I've been up here ten years, never knew that there were it, was a grower there. It was a it was a, a Japanese farmer who has right right near that intersection you just described uh, a square acre of um, they're called Kuoho grapes. They're uh, large. Purple grapes, they taste lot like a Concord grape. They, they, they usually don't have seeds. Some of them have seeds. But because of the wildness of that area, the, there was a one-inch mesh fence all around and over that entire um, vineyard. Vineyard, yeah. yeah. Wow. Because there were hawks above, deer and chipmunks um, below, and... Um, Boy, all of the animals knew what was inside, so that that that, that um, netting needed to be checked every morning. Fantastic! But the grapes were just wonderful, really, really good. The best table grapes you can imagine. Now, I've never heard of that grape variety, and again, I didn't know that there was a production of that happening in the neighborhood. Are they still in business, these people, or do you think they moved on to something else? I don't know. That would have been at least ten years ago that I saw okay. those grapes. Maybe not quite that long, but I, 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 it was a good production site uh, once you could handle the animals. Uh, continuing on with crops grown in the area around Anza and Awanga, uh, back in the 80s and 90s, there was a real nice dentist, a retired dentist and his wife. Uh, his name was Ned, and I forget her name. But they were really nice people, and they were both built real wide. <laughs> they were, it would, but they were retired, and they actually had a um, <clears throat> an apple farm in Anza. <coughs> I don't know exactly where it was from downtown Anza, but they were bring they would bring their fresh apples in from Anza um, during the fall, to year, Long Beach. year after year, all the way into Long Beach to a couple yeah, to a couple of our markets. 
and, and of course they were the farmer the re- <laughs> I, they didn't live in Anza they lived in Long Beach or Cerritos but they had an apple farm I think they were all the same kind of apples um, well, you know, they probably used to be. galas, okay. but um, they did they did come to market with their apples for at least ten years every single season. The um, the other interesting fall item that um, also was something used as a kind of a a tax gimmick by a lot of lawyers and doctors was um, something called the the Sprague Last Chance Peach. Never even heard of it. Okay. Okay. It, it the, the name is one of those names that's descriptive but can lead you astray. There was a a man who who owned a lot of land over by Palmdale, where um, we actually have um, uh, one of our major peach farms over there, in, just east of Palmdale, in a place called Little Rock Pear Blossom. And it's okay. it, if you know what you're doing, it's good peach country, really good peach country. Um, Tenerelli is the name of our farm uh, that's over there, and they've been with us for a long, long time. Uh, Mr. Tenerelli was born in Italy, and then he was a butcher. And then he, when he retired, he bought some land in Little Rock on the north slope of the San Gabriel Mountains, where there's, there's a water table coming out of the mountains, so you can drill down and find water. But... It's tricky. It can get too cold. It can freeze all your peaches if they get if you get a late freeze in April. So uh, Mr. Sprague was selling uh, not only the land but these peaches that he had um, developed. I, I think he was a bit of a botanist, and he he called them Sprague Last Chance Peaches. And indeed, they did come in very late in the season. Um, but in actual fact, the peaches weren't called last chance peaches, even though they were into the season peaches, because he had a little runt of a tree that wouldn't bear fruit when it got to be three or four years old, and most trees do by then. So he went out sort of like Jesus in the fig tree, and he kind of threatened that little tree. He said, little tree, <laughs> this is your last chance. Oh. If you don't make peaches this year, I'm going to rip you out of the ground. <laughs> well, the, the little tree did make peaches that year, and they were quite good peaches, and they were very late in the season. There weren't too many other fresh peaches available, so those became the Sprague last chance peaches. And, that is just a great story. Well, well, well that, that's only for openers. Oh, because he see he was really a land baron, so he sold these uh, peach farms. Uh, whether he, I, I'm not sure if he actually planted the peach trees on them and then sold them. I think sometimes he did do that. Um, the the problem was that when it gets cold up there, it's kind of rolling territory. And cold air tends to seek lower ground. So all the doctors and lawyers that would tend their peach trees, hoping for that fall season to arrive, and and be able to uh, have peaches to even take into farmer's markets and sell. We used to have a number of of, uh, sellers that would just sell these last-chance peaches because they they had a kind of an investment in the property up there. 
Okay, if it was up on the uh, on a hill, as opposed to down in the gulch, a lot of times the peaches would make it through the freeze, but the ones down in the gulch would not. Oh, okay. So uh, location, the local location. farmers all know that, but the the rubes up up out of the city wouldn't know that, and and. Uh, I'm not going to say Mr. Sprague was dishonest. Uh, he'd probably give a little bit of a discount in the gully farm as opposed to the up on the high part farm. But um, it was an interesting uh, part of the agricultural history of that whole area uh, just east of Palmdale. So location, location, location. Yeah, it's just like real estate. Yeah. Yeah, especially okay. when it comes to north, north slope peaches. <coughs> peaches on the north slope of the San Gabriel Mountains. with Anika. Check it out, Anza Valley. You're listening to 97.1 KOYT. Saturday, September 28th at Minor Park here in beautiful Anza, California. The Riverside County Department of Waste Resources will be holding free classes. All classes are free and registration is not required. At 9 a.m., there will be a class about backyard composting. Composting is nature's way of recycling. Come learn how to start and maintain your own compost pile, plus the various ways to use your compost. It's great for the garden and for the environment. Class length will be one hour and a half. Compost bins are available for sale to the Riverside County residents for $12 per bin with a three-bin limit. At 11 a.m., there will be a class held about green cleaning. Reduce the amount of hazardous waste you use by learning how to make household cleaning supplies with natural materials. It's safer to use with households with kids and pets, and plus it saves you money. This class will last one hour. Saturday, September 28th at Minor Park, join the Riverside County Department of Waste Resources and learn about backyard composting and green cleaning. Power in numbers is more than just a catchphrase. It's a way of building community. At your Touchstone Energy Cooperatives, we are your energy community, and the power we provide is much more than a way to keep the lights on. It's how you plug into the friends and neighbors that make up your local co-op, working together to create a different kind of power network, one that puts members first. Sure, you can go it alone, but there's power in numbers. Touchstone Energy Cooperatives, your source of power and information. Visit touchstoneenergy.com today. Hey, Anza people, you're listening to 97.1 KOYT Coyote Radio. Welcome back to Pika with Anika. What other types of interesting crops have you seen? Is there any other fruits or vegetables? Well, I'll tell you the watermelon story. In fact, I was just reading in um, a magazine this morning that we need bees, and in California especially, we need bees for uh, cucumbers, almonds, and watermelons. I didn't know watermelons needed bees for pollination, but evidently they do. But um, when I first took over the markets, one of the original farmers in downtown Long Beach, the Friday market, our oldest market, was Dennis Jones. Now, uh, his, his daughter and her husband and granddaughter have taken over the farm now, and Dennis is retired because he's my age, poor devil. Um, and, uh, but he has a little farm stand right there uh, by the road in, um, well, 
Uh, he actually lives not. He lives a little outside of Visalia, in a place called Woodbridge or Woodhaven, ah, something mm. like that. Okay. Uh, I'll think of it in a minute. Um, but what I'm trying to say is, um, he was bringing some pretty good watermelons to market, and uh, some of his neighbors driving by his farm thought he didn't have watermelons because when they drove by they didn't see any so they complained either directly to the ag department or to market managers and so the um, ag department started driving by and they didn't see any watermelons either so they kept trying to write a ticket for Dennis and Dennis kept saying I do have watermelons make an appointment with me and I'll show you where they are because he got at least two warnings about, I mean, he, he was accused of selling things he didn't grow. I see. But what he had, and, and twice he got sort of tickets from um, drive-by inspectors that didn't get out and, and oh. walk into the field. So the watermelons were actually down in a, 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 well, a, a ditch or a furrow, in a furrow with a cover crop over the top. And so... <laughs> If you drove by, you didn't see anything but the cover crop. But if you went out and lifted up the cover crop, sure enough, Dennis had watermelons. So uh, he, uh, he finally made an appointment with the ag inspectors. They came out, he lifted up the cover crop, and they went, I'll be darned. <laughs> Dennis was telling the truth the whole time. <laughs> So that's one of my favorite stories. Oh, wow. They obviously didn't have critters to deal with them, like up here in, in the Anza uh, They didn't Valley. have what? Didn't have what? Critters. We've got, you know, the squirrels. Oh, in that case. Yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, well, know. evidently not. I, watermelons may be less susceptible than some other things. But this was out in the flatlands okay. uh, by Visalia. Okay. Yeah. No, they're, they're the critters with that vineyard that we were referring to, I mean, they're... Relentless. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, yeah. They, they have to be kept away from the product. Right. There's no 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 two ways about it. Yeah. Now the um, the other time I was up in this area, I continued on to the north, going went up over Big Bear and down into Lucerne Valley, and uh, uh, there's a farm out there in Lucerne Valley, um, and the farmer's name is Sid Weiser, W E I S E R, um, and he's married to a Mexican woman. Um, forget her name. But I got there one time. This is in Lucerne Valley, the high desert, on the backside of Big Bear. Same thing. It's desert land, but there, there's, wa there's a water table. Uh, it's scarce enough that they, um, they ration the water from the well that supplies the farms in the Lucerne Valley. But I got there when Sid, the farmer, uh, had the seed catalog open. And he was selecting what uh, melons uh, that he would get to bring okay. to market the following summer. I was probably there, I don't know, might have been, I, I don't know what time of year, but it was, it was when he was choosing the seeds for, uh, it was probably in the spring. And uh, it was interesting to, to watch him make choices about, you know, which watermelons and which little uh, squash to order uh, to put on his stand. Um, and it, it was an organic farm. So the stuff that he was growing and selling, uh, or his sons were growing and selling, or his employees, especially in the Sunday market uh, in Long Beach, where um, he had some really, I mean, he'd have uh, orange and purple cauliflower, for instance. Oh, <laughs> <fun>. <laughs> some orange ones and some purple ones and some white ones. Oh. So 
He liked variety, so it was fun to be there when he was actually making the suggestions. So uh, that brings up the topic about GMO and organic. Do you uh -huh. do you have to follow these regulations to be a farmer in a in a farmer's market? I don't think uh, we have any GMO fruits or vegetables in the farmers markets. As I understand it, genetically modified organisms are are typically um, well corn and wheat those kinds of things. Um, most of the the um, Vegetables and fruits that you find in farmers markets are not genetically modified. They're they're just done through regular hybridization. Um, uh, some of that, however, is I, I mean the nurseries that have all the white peaches that come in each row comes in a week after the the row, row before it. I mean they have to be pretty sophisticated in order to, to be able to do that and sell. A product as a seed, or um, uh, as a, in, a the, in the case of a as a seedling, in the case of of a nursery with uh, uh, fruit trees, it would be um, baby trees that they would sell. Okay, um, so no, I don't. In the farmers markets, at least to the best of my knowledge, you don't have to worry about GMO. Uh, if they claim to be organic, however, that's a whole other thing. Because some people really care that um, that their fruits and/or vegetables were be organically grown. Well, it, it's the sort of thing that um, it gets a little complex because the the word the O word is very saleable. So there's been a whole over the last 30 years, um, going back 25 years, you could if you sold less than five thousand dollars worth of Organic produce a year, you you did you, you didn't have to have an inspector come out because you weren't selling that much, but you could claim to be organic. If you sold more than that, you could register with the state as organic and pay a, a lower fee, um, but you had to swear that you were using organic farming methods to grow your strawberries. Let's say. Okay. Or you could also get certified by hiring a private certifier to visit your farm, look at your um, growing records, um, records of whatever um, uh, materials you were applying to your organic crop. It might be fish emulsion fertilizer. Uh, it, it's not like there aren't any um, uh, weed killers or, or pesticides at all on the list that you can use on an organic farm. Um, there are some. They're typically not as uh, potent as uh, artificial pesticides and herbicides, but there are substances that you can use. For instance, um, I believe mineral oil is on the list of things that you can use even if you're an organic farmer. And if you have mites on your tree, you could spray the tree with mineral oil, and it would kill the mites and not hurt. And then wash it off with water after a okay. period. Um, also, one of the farmers um, read an organic. In fact, it was the fruit farmer that I mentioned earlier to you. Um, he read that if it was a really hot summer day, and you had a problem with mites or some other small insect on a fruit tree, um, you could you could uh, get a lot of ice in the scoop of a of a uh, 
you could dump icy water on the tree and it would kill all the little mites and not hurt the tree. And it works. But well, only on so a really hot day with really cold ice water to kill mites on a tree. Okay. So you'd use a skip loader full of water and ice to dump over the fruit tree oh. and it's a, it's an acceptable organic um, pesticide technique. Yeah. 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 So um but but the, the the thing I'm trying to say is that it must have been about 15 years ago now that the um, the federal government published after much after a question and answer period their organic growing guidelines for fruits and vegetables nationwide and they were almost the same as what California already had if you had been a certified organic producer before that. But no longer could you just register with the state and pay 50 bucks and swear that you were organic. That that wasn't possible anymore. Oh, so um, it's harder to get organic status now um, because uh, y you have to spend some money, keep some records, and be um, and be uh, very very. Uh, Awake about what's going on on your farm, because um, you can use organic techniques, organic um, substances to quell uh, a, 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 an insect invasion of some kind. But usually, you have to apply more of the substance and more often than a, a, an artificial chemical pesticide. I see. So it sounds like the uh, insectarium that you talked about earlier would. Yeah, yeah, they were probably growing beneficial insects. Yeah, that's exactly for, right. You can right. bring in beneficial insects that will feed on the uh, the, 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 the the bad ones. Right. Yeah, that's right. right. Okay. That's right. So, Dale, what do you think the potential is of having a farmers market in in Anza or in the uh, somewhere, I guess, along three seventy one? You know, we've got a lot of traffic going by. There's thousands of cars. Uh, and I'm not sure if they would stop for a farmer's market, but, you know, there is potential for that. Um, I, I don't think they're going to stop. I've, I've had some experience with this. Um, they might stop if there's an arts and crafts fair associated with the market. Uh, they might buy a trinket, but they're probably hungry, and they, they might stop if you have um, a tamale stand as a part of the market, which is possible. Um, but I don't think they're going to stop and buy fresh produce much. Maybe, maybe some apples uh, or maybe some cherries. Um, but I, I, and I also think it would have to be very seasonal. I mean, you were, ta you were talking about the crop swap from June through September. Um, those are probably the months that any enterprise, anything like a farmer's market, even with a few additives like some arts and crafts or a food booth um, might actually stop some of those thousands of cars going by. Um, I think it's more of a local phenomenon myself. Uh, that's why I, I, I like your story about people who do crop swapping during the summer. Right. Well, now the thing about the crop swapping is that no actual money is exchanged. Right. So, so right. everyone just brings their, their extra bounty you know, their extra zucchini or homemade jams or whatever that they might have. And then it's put on a, a, a central table. 
and then uh, one by one people pick through and take what they want uh, until it's all picked through. But um, in order to avoid any uh, county regulators or um, sales tax people and all that other stuff, as long as it's no, no money involved, um, the system works. But the point of a farmer's market is, is to, you know, to raise money. You obviously don't do it a, uh, as, as a hobby. So. Right. Well, that, that, does, that is an interesting point because a farmer's market, you'd, you'd have even just local vegetable and, let's say, apple farmers in the fall um, with little stalls and be selling their stuff, maybe not to make a living, but uh, to provide um, uh, an outlet. Uh, for people that like to come down and shop and pay a little bit for an apple or a um, uh, some some vegetables, um, it, it would be different. Um, I, I just don't know. I, as, I with the with already the swap shop shop swap. crop crop swap uh, crop tradition swap. going. People are used to going down there and getting freebies, so it might be a little difficult to transition to a sales oriented thing. But it it. Um, well, I, I, you might have to. I, I, I'm just not quite sure how it would work out. Right. But well, I think it would have to be just during the summertime. Right. But you know, we've had people come to the crop swap, and they actually want. They don't want to participate by bringing anything, but they want to purchase the produce, which is like a no-no in a crop swap. It's like you 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 put in and you take out. Uh, you can't just come and purchase. So uh, yeah, it's not that to- people don't want to pay for it. Um, you know, we're a disadvantaged community, and, and um, you know, it, it might be a, a way of people to well, to make some extra money, but they need to be consistently there. Where Where's the closest market that has fresh produce? It's in the heart of Anza. There is one that has fresh produce in Anza? Yes. And What's, we do have a, a, an organic farm called Sage Mountain Farm. Yeah. Which is, and but they have, they attend markets... In Riverside and San Diego and, and other places where they know that they're going to make money. They're not going to come to a, an ANZA stand and pay someone and, um, you know, to make, you know, $200. So what what's the is the quality of produce, fresh produce in the local market there pretty good? Uh, for the most part. And they they actually do buy local produce. Uh, when people have excess plums, and I've seen—I mean, I've seen vegetables in there uh, that yeah, are locally that get, grown. That gets interesting because uh, I'm not sure how close the authorities look at the fruits and vegetables in a local market situation way out in the country somewhere where right. nobody's making a whole lot of money. Well, the thing with a, a grocery store is that they have to abide by the grocery standards, which are the uniform, uh, uh, the Standardization Act. And so, right, so your peaches have to be all the same size. There has to be X amount of carrots in a bundle. Well, and they and, would, and, see, and yeah, they, they certain would have, degree of they ripeness. Would have to, the fruit would have to come in a, in a standardized box. Labeled you know, where it came yeah, from. Yeah, yeah. See, that's exactly what I'm saying. Right. That's the way it was before farmers markets for, for um, right. all the farms, including the small ones. <coughs> I will tell a story, though, about... Something else that you find at farmers markets, I think it's been about five years now. Maybe started in nineteen in two thousand thirteen, uh, and, and and that's the Cottage Food Act, where uh, let's just take an example. Um, 
if you take training with your local county uh, and you have a nice clean kitchen, you could bake bread in your nice clean kitchen and have your certificate from the county uh, without a county inspector ever having come out. And you could bake bread and sell it in a public market, like a farmer's market. Or you could also, and I don't know what kind of um, uh, signage is required. You, I think you could sell it in a, in a local corner market. Now, you just have to say where it was, you know, <coughs> yeah, where you it may, was produced. You may know something about this. Yeah. It, it, it all got started. I read the story one time in the LA Times about how it all got started in Altadena. There was a man who was baking bread in his nice, custom-built kitchen in his Altadena house. And he was taking it down to the corner grocery, and it was being sold. And uh, one of the health inspectors one time came by and went, Oh, unlabeled bread, what the heck is that? And so the, the man who was baking was found out and shut down by the health department. But the man was an entrepreneur. So he got a hold of his um, state assembly person and found out about Michigan and some other states had this um, oh, cottage food law. I think law. Minnesota. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, well, Michigan was the one that I saw. And um, he went with his uh, assembly person to Sacramento and they got the cottage food law through California. So then he could bake his bread and take it down to the corner grocery and proudly display it and sell it, and then everybody in the neighborhood was happy because it was really good bread, and he was legal. He, he, he changed the law so he could continue to do what he'd been doing already. Although, it, at that point, the health department was okay. But it, the health department in the, at the local level has to obey the state law. Well, it shows you that the little guy can actually make change, and for yeah. such a good thing, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we have some uh, local people that produce. Uh, we've got a, a, a lady who calls herself the jam lady. and Right. I, you can do jam under mm -hmm. that same uh, provision. And you know? pickles. And yeah. It, 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 there's nothing a with dairy. Pickles, jam, uh, I think dried fruit. Yes, and spices and dried yeah, herbs. Yeah, there's a, a limited list. Mm -hmm. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah, it's especially baked goods. Uh, you can do such a nice variety of baked goods uh, in a home kitchen. Yes. And um, we even have a couple of people in my neighborhood, although it's not quite enough money, um, that are actually trying to pay their mortgage by by running their home kitchen as a bakery. Oh, interesting. It's not quite working oh. because they're, they're, what's, what they're doing is instead of pricing it low so they sell a lot of it they price it high and they don't sell very much of it oh so uh, well, they, they haven't quite discovered the uh, the right balance of those two right. things right yeah. sometimes you can be <laughs> boutique and sometimes it doesn't oh yeah and doesn't it doesn't pay off they claim organic i think they're using all organic materials so they do sell some of the pricey stuff uh to people that want something really good and organic and don't really care how much they have to pay for it right so I've always told them to get something, you know, um, something that's decent but reasonably priced for the common man or common woman. But no, they've stuck with the high price spread. Right. 
Well, you know, one thing uh, is that I uh, wildcraft uh, teas, like black sage. Yeah. Yeah, and um, um, and then uh, you know, in my home garden, I grow lemon verbena, and then I yeah, sell that, yeah, yeah. and um, do some other things too. I've got them at one of our local stores and, and so on. So there, there's a little little things that one can do, but, but again, it you know doesn't meet the farmer's market. You know, is there enough there for the farmer's market? So, so I think there's a lot of people who are interested in having a farmer's market in Anza, but they, I don't think they understand that you have to have the continuity. So if you start a farmer's market, people expect that when they come next week, they're gonna find you know, it, it yeah. takes educated customers to make a farmer's market run. They have to understand seasonality. It's not like the produce section is a supermarket of where course. they order stuff from the other hemisphere when it's not in yeah. season in this hemisphere. Um, and it and it, it you know it takes some organizational ability, and you gotta you gotta report to the state what the farmers are selling. So that the state can check up on it at both ends, you know, with their inspectors at both ends, uh, it, it's uh, it's it, it, it's it's a real small market without somebody that is just taking it on as their life project um, is, is is difficult, especially have to if you have to notify and start it up anew every year instead of just running it along, you know, every Saturday morning all year round. Right. Okay. All so. right. Well, how about it? Well, I think we've come to kind of the conclusion of the, the discussion about the farmer's market at this point. Um, now, Whit, uh, Dale, you've told me that you, uh, I think as a child or as a teenager, that you actually hiked in our area? No, 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 no. It was probably about 25 years ago when I was an adult. Okay. <clears throat> but I, I used to lead... Uh, church sponsors backpacking trips in the high Sierras during the summer. But one of uh, 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 one time, about 25 years ago, on New Year's Eve, I got about five people together. That one of them was a former farmers market manager ahead of me, Nola Lampkin, who nine, 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 lives in Alaska now, and then a couple of other uh, uh, former backpacking friends. Uh, and our two dogs, and we decided to do a, a New Year's Eve and New Year's Day uh, camping out and a hiking trip to Warner Springs, where we slept and froze on New Year's Eve. It was a clear. What did you expect? It was a, it was clear, and all the time we had uh, been in the High Sierras in the summer. Never had our canteens frozen solid overnight. But that was New Year's Eve with a clear sky about 25 years ago, sleeping on the sand in the dry creek bed in Warner Springs. The, the dogs were, oh, they were just howling all night. They were so cold. And then our canteens were frozen solid in the morning. Oh, we couldn't believe how cold it had been. I can't even imagine that. Yeah. But, so picking up from where we left... Um, Upon rising that morning with our solid, frozen, solid canteens, we decided to hike a nearby mountain. Well, we decided not to do Mount Palomar. You can get up to the top on a road anyway on the other side. So to the north of us, and we had to drive through downtown Anzit to, and then west on a dirt road to get there, 
was a, a, a mountain that had two names. Uh, one of the names was Forgettable, but the other name for that mountain was not forgettable to me. It was called Bucksnort Mountain. <laughs> and it's just um, a little west and south of Anza. So that's what we did. We drove around from where from Warner Springs up to Anza and then drove out on the dirt road as far as we could go and then hiked along the dirt road and then up the trail uh, all the way to um, as far as the trail went to the top of Bucksnort Mountain. And then we um, uh, came back down, went back home and uh, called it a day. But um, that was the um, that was my previous trip to Anza one time when I was uh Hiking with friends very on New Year's cool. Day. <laughs> yes, very cool. Wow, that's uh, yeah. I know it sure can get cold sometimes, but I. Oh, that was a yeah. cold. Night. It wasn't windy. It was just cold. Right. Really cold. Right. Amazing. Well, that just tells you you always have to be prepared. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, I think that uh, comes to the end of the the. Uh, okay. Of well, the this has been year. fun, and um, I, I uh, good luck whatever you do with this project. Uh, summertime is a good time to um, do a farmer's market, maybe add a few things uh, besides just the farmers. And and maybe you'll just decide to continue on with the crop swap. I mean, that sounds pretty good. Although I'm certainly interested that there are people that come up and want to pay for the stuff that's there. That's a, a, that's a good sign that uh, there are at least some people that don't have their own um, um, produce, uh, homegrown produce to swap, and uh, they might want to come down. And, uh, and purchase something to take home. Right. So okay. There's a little hope there. Exactly. But Anza is just not a very big place. That's true. Yeah. So uh, if you have any questions for my guest, please uh, send an email to programming at koyt971.org and put uh, FICA in the subject line and then in the body of the text uh, put it your question, and I will get the question to our guest, and uh, he can answer that at the next time when we come together, because I do hope that we will come together again. What was that that they put on the subject line, Ika? Fika, F-I-K-A. Okay, that's what I didn't hear very well, and I want to make sure they knew what that was. (laughs) Yes, and uh, just to remind people that Fika is all about coming together and and sitting with good friends and colleagues and just uh, kicking back and and, uh, just having a good time. So thank you for having a good time with us. And thank you again, Dale, for coming out. Okay. Been my pleasure. Thank you for listening in to Fika with Anika. Enjoy your cup of Fika Wednesdays at 3 p.m. and replayed Sundays at 1 p.m.